Friends, welcome to our worship on Sunday the 19th of September. It is good that we can be together. Our call to worship. Our world offers many wide avenues and beautiful places to walk. Our God invites us to walk the road of service and sacrifice. Our society suggests we put down our roots in the shallow soil of pleasure and greed. Our God seeks to plant us on the banks of hope, watered by the rivers of joy and grace. Our culture promotes achievement, success, climbing to the top. Our God tells us if we want to be first, we need to go to the end of the line. Friends, as we join together in worship, we listen to and sing the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Thy faith. 
great is thy faithfulness. Friends, let us pray. God of wisdom, your knowledge is too wonderful for us. You created the world and all that it contains, breathing, inspiring, redeeming. You know each blade of grass, bird in the air and sand on the shore, and we offer you praise for your infinite love for us and our world. God of parables, we give you thanks for Jesus who brings your wisdom to us through parables and stories, through love and action, through prayer and sacrifice. We thank you that even when we are not wise enough to grasp your message, your love for us never falters and your patience with us is unceasing. God of inspiration, we thank you that we are not you, that we do not have to hold all that you hold, that we have limits and we are limited Yet you still trust us to be partners in your creation. By the power of the Holy Spirit, encourage us in our journey with you. Inspire us to live for your kingdom, seeking your wisdom in all we say and do. We pray all of this in the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Merciful God, we confess that we think we know what is best for us and others. We journey our own way instead of yours. We fill our own needs before the needs of others. We speak to suit our mind instead of your will. Forgive us for relying on our own wisdom instead of yours. Forgive us for the times we've ignored the injustices our greed and desire for dominance have created. Forgive us when our words cut and hurt and harm instead of lift up and heal and renew. Forgive us for the ways in which we place ourselves at the centre of your creation instead of part of it. Amend what we are. Direct what we shall be. So that we may delight in your wisdom and walk in your ways. To the glory of your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. We say together, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Friends, we listen to the setting of Psalm 23, composed by Stuart Townend, the Lord's my shepherd.
Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me lie in pastures green. He leads me by the still, still waters. His goodness restores my soul. And I will trust in you alone. And I will trust in you alone. For your endless mercy follows me. Your goodness will lead me home. He guides my righteousness and he anoints my head with oil and my cup it overflows with joy I feast on his pure delights and I will trust in you trust in you alone. For your endless mercy follows me. Your goodness will lead me home. And though I walk the darkest path, I will not comfort I need to know and I will trust in you alone and I will trust in you alone for your endless mercy follows me your goodness will A reading from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 11, verses 18 to 20. Because the Lord revealed their plot to me, I knew it. For at that time he showed me what they were doing. I'd been like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not realise they had plotted against me, saying, 
Let us destroy the tree and its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living. Let his name be remembered no more. But you, Lord Almighty, who judge righteously and test the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them. For to you I have committed my cause. Thanks be to God. And Mark's Gospel. This is Mark chapter 9, verses 30 to 37. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were. Because he was teaching his disciples, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they'd argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Thanks be to God. Amen. We've heard in that account in Mark's Gospel of Jesus reminding or perhaps telling the disciples that those who need to be great have to be the least. Those who are first need to be last. And we see here in this next song, Meekness and Majesty, something of the journey of Christ as he surrendered obediently to God. Meekness and Majesty. Manhood and deity in perfect harmony, the man who is God, Lord of eternity, dwells in humanity, kneels in humility and washes our feet. Oh, what a mystery! Mystery, 
Well, what a week. We've had uh, cabinet shuffles, we've had um, demotions, we've had promotions. Some are in, others are out, others have been changed. I'm not sure if they're in and out. Some political hokey-cokey has been going on this last week. I wonder if being changed from Foreign Secretary to Deputy Prime Minister is, is quite a demotion. It seems to be seeing that, but who knows? What we do know is that around the Cabinet table, over telephones, they've been jostling for positions. There've been those negotiations that if I do this, you could do that. All that's been going on in our political powerhouse this last week. The ninth chapter of Mark's Gospel begins with a glorious vision. Jesus shining in dazzling light on the mountaintop. We call it the transfiguration. And what a sign that was. Peter, James and John shaded their eyes and saw Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah. A cloud descends on the mountain, just like in the days of Moses, and a voice comes from the cloud. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Uh, those three disciples would have not heard that language before, but of course we read of that when Jesus himself was baptised. This is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. Perhaps these three disciples, as they uh, descend the mountain, uh, are dying, eager to tell the others about the vision they'd experienced. But Jesus had strictly told them not to say anything to anyone. It's hard, isn't it, friends, keeping a confidence of something which is exciting. It's often easier keeping a confidence when it's something quite horrific. But here are these disciples. They have witnessed something. They've had this mountaintop experience and they're told not to tell others. And in some ways, by telling the others, they would say, well, we've experienced that. Just three out of the twelve, it was us, the greatest, who experienced this transfiguration. But why were the disciples arguing anyway about greatness when they walked on the way? Jesus had just told them about betrayal and death. This was the second time that he said this. Maybe some of them had finally heard what he was saying. But did they hear the last line about Jesus rising again? Once they got past the betraying bit, maybe even past the dying bit. They began to dream of being in high places, resurrection with Jesus. They arrived home in Capernaum. The chapter begins on a mountaintop and it comes crashing down to earth. The disciples struggle to understand who Jesus is and what following him means. And sometimes we have that same struggle. It's such a human moment and a reminder to all of us that even those who walked with Jesus and encountered Jesus and witnessed all that Jesus did, didn't get it right all the time. Jesus tells the disciples about his fate and how he will be betrayed, killed and rise again. But of course, the disciples have really no idea what Jesus is talking about. Uh, the next scene, you could say, if it wasn't so um, odd about the disciples' behaviour, that it was quite comical. Um, I think Jesus and disciples are travelling and, and I have visions of Jesus walking out in front of the group, not necessarily engaging with them, but having a quiet moment, but still attentive and near enough to hear what they're saying. And when he asks them, 
as we've heard in verse 33, what are they arguing about? I have to imagine that Jesus probably already knew. He'd heard the conversation and of course he knew them so very well. And then to make the point, he sits down with his disciples, gather them all around him. Whoever of you wants to be first, they have to be the last. They have to be the servant of all. Perhaps that will strike a chord when in just a few moments later, weeks to come, Jesus will kneel at their feet and wash their feet, a sign of true servanthood. They'd argued about who was going to be the greatest. And Jesus completely turns it upside down and says, actually, it isn't about who's going to be great. It's about who's going to be the least. Oh, Jesus turns things upside down. No wonder they were silent. Their eyes probably started to glaze over for they'd heard these opposites time and time again. To save a life, you must lose your life. To be first, you have to be last. To be great, you need to be a servant. Jesus was always talking in this way. But Jesus could see, could sense, that quite simply they couldn't get it. So he takes a small child, a little child in his arms, and places the child in the midst of them. Whose child is this anyway? Perhaps a child of one of the women who are part of the community. Perhaps the child of one of the disciples or, or relative of, of Jesus, because Jesus was now back home. Whoever the child was, Jesus saw the child. This child was as important, as important as the vision on the mountain. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not just me, but the one who sent me. Peter and James and John must have remembered the voice from the cloud and they knew they know who sent Jesus. While they are thinking about heavenly visions and greatness, they see Jesus holding a child. A child. Jesus wanted them to see the child. He wants us to see the child too and to welcome the child. Not because the child is innocent or perfect or pure or cute or curious or naturally religious. But, but children occupied an interesting place in the first century household for Jews and Romans alike. They represented the future. They'd carry on a family name, provide for ageing parents and produce the next generation. But in the present, in that moment, not the future, they were a liability. Small children especially were more likely to contract an illness and to die. They passed participated in the household labour, not fully productive, but still represented another mouth to feed. And many historians at the time compared the status of a child in such a situation to that of a slave. However, the power dynamics are, are greater than that, more than that. On the one hand, an adult slave could be worth more in the present. On the other hand, even the smallest child, a member of the household, an honour to which a slave would never have or get to attain, 
could be considered outsiders even on the inside. And they are the ones that Jesus commands us to welcome. The outsiders and the insiders. It's just another example of Jesus turning people's expectations upside down, or maybe the right way around. It's a great reversal in the name of justice, the kind of which not just Mark's gospel, but Luke's gospel is famous for. But here in Mark's gospel, we experience something else. With children, the power dy dynamics are not so clear. It isn't so much a question of who is great and who is not, but it's also a question of who is welcomed and who isn't welcome. Jesus brings the child from the margins into the centre. This child is not a symbol, but a person. A little person, forgive me, easily overlooked, often unseen, often unheard. Do you see this child? Jesus is asking his disciples and us, whoever welcomes this child welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. And this sounds lovely, but in the next chapter, the disciples have forgotten all about the child. And when people bring children to him, they quickly push them away. They kept getting it wrong. I wonder how often we get it wrong in our churches when children fidget or play video games or listen to music by headphones in the service. Let them come to me. What was Jesus doing? Placing a little child in the midst of the disciples in Capernaum. He wasn't some kind of hopeless romantic wanting something different. He was a hopeless fanatic. Fanatical about opening up the conversation and commonwealth of God to those nobody wanted to see. Jesus didn't follow the rubrics or the rules. He talked about suffering after a wonderful moment of glory on the mountaintop. And Jesus talks taught that the commonwealth of God is not up, but down. All our arguments about greatness mean nothing if we don't stoop down low enough to take a little child in our arms and bring the words of heaven to earth. I can imagine Jesus whispering to that child, you are a beloved child of God. Who do we need to whisper those words to? Which outsider do we have to bring inside? And friends, as those who are inside, how do we go outside? Jesus looks over the child's shoulders and looks at those around. Whoever welcomes this child, who in this society is seen almost as his insignificance, also welcomes me. And if you welcome me, then you welcome the one who sent me. But it's not as simple as it sounds. The disciples are like children caught whispering about something in a classroom by the teacher and they fall silent. It's interesting that Mark never says that they actually told Jesus what they were arguing about. They must have known in that moment that Jesus heard them arguing about who is the greatest. And so Jesus takes this moment to try and get the disciples to understand his vision about the kingdom of God. Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and the servant of all. Paired with his 
early uh, foreshadowing of his death and resurrection, this is a reminder to the disciples that following Jesus is not an easy task. Friends, to put it another way, Jesus is not interested in who we say is the greatest or even in who acts like the greatest or looks to be great. Jesus is interested in the one who acts with grace, with compassion and with love. By then, the world will know through grace and compassion and love that we are his disciples. May we welcome all. May we go to all. In his name. Amen. This next hymn takes us on a journey of love. Come, let us sing of a wonderful love, tender and true.
Friends, let us pray. Lord, we pray for all the decisions we make today, for ourselves and others who face difficulties and challenges in their lives. We pray for those who are making difficult decisions on behalf of others and those whose decisions affect lives other than their own. We pray that they may have courage to do what is right and the vision to see what is important. We pray that they may and we may all have the wisdom that comes from you, pure, peace-loving, gentle and merciful. We pray for your church in all her diversity, that she may seek you above all, that you may grant her discernment and compassion. We pray for our togetherness as your church in this place. May your body flourish and grow as we enable, support and cherish each other. We pray for all who grieve, who are lonely, pained and living lives controlled by others. We think of those who are in hospital and hospices, nursing homes and sheltered accommodation. For those who've returned home from hospital, for those who are waiting to go into hospital, may they know your peace and your presence. Gracious God, may we receive as we have been received, forgive as we have been forgiven, and love as we have been loved by you. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Our final hymn is an adaptation on the hymn, Jesus Shall Reign Where'er the Sun. Uh, this is a version by Keith and Kristen Getty. A wonderful chorus in there for us to sing along to. Jesus shall reign.
that was Jesus shall reign. Friends, thank you for joining us this morning on this act of worship. May our God bless you richly in this week, in the known and unknown encounters and all the things that we experience in the week ahead. May you know the love of God. A final blessing. Go into the world knowing that God is with you. Go into the world with the peace of Christ upon you. Go into the world with the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And may the blessing of God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit rest upon us and remain with us this day and forevermore. Amen. God bless you, friends. Thank you.